Episode 100, episode 100 of the Lunch Break Podcast is finally here, and I couldn't be more excited. We've got just a special episode for so many different reasons. First of all, episode 100, kind of a big deal. Been doing this thing for a while. Super grateful to have gotten to this point. Second awesome thing, uh, I've got... My co-host, the host for season four, Ashad Mason here, we're going to co-host this episode. This is the first time this has ever happened in the history of the Lunch Break podcast. So that's monumental. But more than all of all that stuff that has to do with us, the reason that this episode is so damn monumental is because of our guest. Our guest is... uh, you know, somebody that I connected with on LinkedIn, have been following her content. And when I was sitting back and thinking, who, who can I bring on to episode 100 that's going to embody what we are all about here at the Lunch Break Podcast? And I, and, and I thought to myself, I needed somebody that would show up and have a conversation like the ones that we love and the reason that anybody's ever listened to this podcast tunes in. And it's it, it, and it's really the reason why this guest is so perfect is because she's real, she's authentic, she knows her stuff, she can actually do the work, she's actually out there doing the things, and then also coming back to the community and founding her own communities and bringing her knowledge and and it's just, I'm, I'm I'm not doing it justice. And I'm a little bit rusty, okay, starting off these podcasts. But folks, today's guest is none other than Nikki Ivy. <laughs> I mean, round of applause all the way around. I'm so <laughs> fired up to have you here. Thank you so much for joining episode 100 of the Lunch Break Podcast, Nikki. Thank you. Wow, what an introduction. And I think you're absolutely right. I am not one of the normal people. If you're looking... <laughs> <laughs> to go out and get one of the normal people, you should just skip over this one here. <laughs> um, uh, and I mean that in all, none of my favorite people are normal. Um, yeah. So that's why this is one of my favorite ways to be introduced. Hello, Lunch Break Podcast. What it do? I'm excited. I am as excited to be here as James was to introduce me. Uh, and so it's a, it's a whole mutual thing happening. And I'm doubly excited to be meeting you, uh, Ashad, for the first time officially, although I, as I mentioned uh, before the call, have been consuming your content, interacting with your content and, and loving your content. Yeah. It's it's a pleasure to meet you. It's a pleasure to have you. And episode 100 is, is, is such a big thing to me and I can't wait to dive into this episode. So we are going to start this thing off the way that I, me, myself, when I'm hosting (laughs) this thing, the one and only yeah start these (laughs) podcasts off and it's mainly just because it was the easiest question to start off a podcast that i could think of uh because 
love interviewing salespeople. And, and Nikki, you're a, a fantastic salesperson and, and you're doing great things now, but talk to us about how you got started in sales. Well, accidentally, like the rest of us. Hey. I, <laughs> hey, I, uh, I, as the story goes, uh, more than 10 years ago, which is nebulous intentionally. So you don't yeah. know how long yeah. I've been doing this. Fuzzy, no. uh, 10 plus, <laughs> 10 plus. <laughs> well, fuzzy math for y'all. Uh, some time ago, I accompanied a friend to a, a used car lot down in Southeast Georgia where I was living. She was looking to buy a car and she just, you know, wanted me to come along. And um, I remember the salesperson was just very, he was very, I don't know the word for it, right? Like schmoozy, I guess, right? All these things that we associate with car salespeople that that regular salespeople don't like to be associated with, right? Um, and my reaction to this was to heckle him. So I start trying to just get him to break character you know, like like the those guards outside of Buckingham Palace and you're just like trying to see if you can get them to make a face or something. I'm right. doing that to this guy and he just keeps with a burp, burp, burp and this car has this kind of engine and I'm like, sir, she doesn't care about the engine. Uh, but anyway, so didn't work out for that young man. She didn't buy a car, my friend, uh, but his boss was like, hey kid, I think you got something. Uh, so I, he offered me a job and I became a car salesperson. Uh, and which I never had any aspirations to be it was just this situation where me being myself, me understanding the importance of really connecting with people only because that's how I had been surviving. Right. Um, worked out <laughs> and, and I got to learn about, um, you know, what about sales? I love and that piece of it, right. That helping people that piece has endured. So that's how I got my start. I love it. And so that's so interesting because it's like you instantly saw through the facade of this personality that he was trying to be. And I love that you were calling him out on it. I, most people like though, that's the reason that, you know, most of us like go the other way when there's the TV person selling in Walmart mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. we get fl flustered, right? When we know somebody's in the mall and we're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> you know, because you want to avoid that type of interaction. Yeah. So I think that's interesting that you were kind of like leaning into it and saying like, okay, this is a little ridiculous. Well, you know what it is. <laughs> what is the, it? The 10% of me that is an introvert and here we go with the math again, right? I yeah. chose, by the way, yes, I was a journalism slash comm major. Yes, I chose that major because we only had to take one math. Um, yes. And so like the numbers will not be on point today. <laughs> Let's but not anyway, do it. Let's so, not pay too close. Got and it. Don't do the maths good. But, um, but so anyway, so, so about 10% of me is an introvert. And one of the hallmarks of an introvert personality is to be really uncomfortable with a lot of that schmooze element, small talk, right? Mm. So this sense inside of you that someone is not being themselves unsettles you. And a lot of what is associated with the extroverted personality or extroverted environments is to be, to put something on, right? And to, to give like a show. And I think that that's one of the things that introverts 
um, are repelled by. And so, so that little piece of my personality, I think, um, I feel very fortunate to have because it, it has been this thing in sales as a career that's helped me not fall into that trap of putting on this you know, facade. Now, do we need to, you know, pay attention to how we deliver a message? Absolutely. But for me, I would, I would rather lean into inspiring people and bet on that in place of, you know, doing something that's going to like a gimmick, right? That's going to maybe get their attention. Yes. And maybe get them to like me even. Yes. But that isn't entirely me. I just wouldn't, I could pull it off. <laughs> but I wouldn't last long. I wouldn't be me anymore. Yeah. It's interesting as you were talking and I'm like imagining you picking this person apart and then you becoming a salesperson, you know, all three of us have experience and kind of started in that retail world, right? Ashad, you were what at Sears at one mm -hmm. point, Yep. yep. right? classic. I was selling cell phones in a kiosk in the middle of a mall. Right. And so, you know, it is interesting when you start your career in environments like that, because all of a sudden you're that person that makes other people uncomfortable. You're that mm -hmm. person that, you know, when they're walking through the department store or they're walking through the mall, they're like, you know, like, and, <laughs> you know, again, to your point, I don't think anybody ever grows up and plans on wanting to be in sales. And so I know that for the most part, when I thought about a salesperson, I was like, Ugh. you know, like not really, not even like I hate salespeople or uh -huh. like, I didn't have that strong of opinion, but if I were to think about the average salesperson in my mind, it's just like, Ugh. You know, like yeah, that not, sound you make, that's the sound my parents make when they found out I was going to be a salesperson. This was not a phase. Fantastic. Okay. Like, <laughs> so let's talk about that a bit, right? <laughs> <laughs> the the ick, right? So you became a salesperson, you took this sales job, um, you know, in 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 what is like literally the most just stereotypical sales job, like mm -hmm. used car salesperson. Hey, mom and dad, I'm gonna be a used car salesperson. <laughs> Um, totally understand, totally, you know, not surprised that they weren't thrilled. Right. Cause I, I don't think anybody in my family wrote home and said, James has become a salesperson. Right. right. Stop, <laughs> he's done it. He made it, he made right? it. <laughs> you know, put that on the tombstone. Right. right. Um, <laughs> but so, um, starting in a role like that and being exposed to it, what, what kept you in the game? Like a lot of people, you know, that's a very, um, you know, high turnover, like they're in, they're out. It helps weed people out a lot of the times, you know, you hear about that a lot. Oh, I tried to sell cars for six months and yeah. it was a nightmare. And, uh, you know, I learned how to code or, well, you know, something. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what kept you in it? right? Was, did you have good leadership at the first job? I mean, what was that thing that kept you going? <laughs> She's shaking her head. No, sir, no. I, I can't say as I had. Uh, no, I did. In Southern Georgia. I did, I did not have. Um, and listen, no shade. They tried, but there are, and we're, we're just going to, we're just going to take it. They're going to get into it. Aren't we James? Yeah. Uh, there are elements of culture 
workplace culture that I had not been exposed to up until that point. And I think I was seeing the worst of it in that environment, right? And it's because, listen, the, the model for these, it, they're independent franchises, there isn't any oversight. And so there's nobody that they have to answer to in terms of culture. And so culture doesn't even have to matter. All it has to matter is like, did you knock some heads off, right? Which is the slang in the car dealership world for getting more money out of someone than, you know, absolutely necessary in order for them to get the car they wanted, right? What was your, your the profit margin you were able to get? And obviously that didn't appeal to me at all. Um, <clears throat> And then there were other, there were elements with relation to gender. I thought I had a mentor. He thought he had a side piece. That's, I'm just going to put it out there wow. like that right there, right? Like it was really a very difficult environment to navigate, especially it being my first experience in sales and being my first real experience. And I mean, I was maybe 20, 21 years old. So I didn't know the things when chief among the things I didn't know was that I didn't have to take it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. I, I thought this is just the way things are. And, and so I kind of had to find in myself daily ways to justify staying in it. Right. Mm. When you asked what kept you in it, right. I'm acutely aware when we talk about, you know, women falling out of the pipeline to leadership in various industries, particularly in sales, right? These are some of the things people are up against, not always to that same severity as to what I, I was experiencing in that place. But so those are the, the reasons why I did want to run fast in the opposite direction mm. when I first started. But I still remember the names of the first three people I sold cars to. <laughs> and I still remember how it felt to have a set of communication skills, which at that time were, was really all I had in the world. I had my natural gifts. I hadn't finished college yet. As I mentioned, I was a teen mom. Uh, as the numbers go, 1% uh, of us graduate from a four-year university uh, before the age of 30. I was 28 by the time I did it. So I was facing these circumstances where I didn't have a lot of, on paper, what it would have taken to, to be afforded the privilege to not work in that kind of environment, right? Just work at a place that maybe had some healthcare benefits, I don't know, or a place that maybe had some type of HR department to tell people, you know, how to respect people and treat people in a, in a workplace. So I didn't have those things, but like I said, this being able to use just what I had in the way of resilience, in the way of communication skills, and in the way of understanding, uh, the impact of, of connecting with people and the potential upside for that, that's what kept me in it. So I was like, I don't even have to like, like any of what's going on right now. I don't have to engage in it. But what I'm not gonna do is let these people rob me. I'm not gonna let this system rob me. The system was what was at play as far as the circumstances that I was under, right? And these individual leaders and their shortcomings are what was at play as far as what was making me want to bolt out the door. But as far as the hands I was dealt, you don't underestimate the power of a possible. That queen might walk, you feel me? You know, safe players out there. That queen might walk. Yeah, and it so, might walk, yeah. And, and so that's what I had to just, I'm 
it's me. I'm the queen. Uh, and so, and so <laughs> I just had to bet on that and, and let the, let the experiences I had and the way that I felt when I was able to help the folks who I, I sold cars to, it just so happens that the first three folks I sold cars to were women. Um, and, and that's what kept me in it. I can help people and I can use these things that I have, these pieces of myself what, that in other environments maybe aren't as sought after or respected. Yeah, we definitely want to take a moment to celebrate your tenacity and perseverance because what you, the odds that you that were stacked against you, you found a way to make it happen. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people don't necessarily have that level of tenacity, especially, you know, because I, I was raised by a team. Um, I think my, my mom had me when I was 18. So, um, and the odds were stacked against her. So I just wanted to say, you know, we definitely tip our hat to you for being able to navigate those things and have those levels of accomplishments that you did. Thank you so much. Yeah, and I, I mean, don't I actually think... hear that very often, so thank you. Well, well, I mean, you know, this is we're here to give you the roses, right? I mean, because it's um, what a lot of people don't realize is that you know there's a there's a large percentage of people that you know it's this weird place to be in when you're in a car sales job or a retail sales job um because it's not like you work it's not like you work at fast food right so it's not like you make minimum wage um but you're also you know a lot of the times working at places with no health care right with no hr department with nobody that really gives a shit right with the man with the vp of sales that goes around and fires people for not having their shirts tucked in and I mean, you know, crazy types of environments, working environments that are like, if if you were to just take a step back, be like, how could anybody thrive? No wonder everybody's quitting or underperforming or stealing from the company or, you know, all of these crazy things because it's, uh, and, and so there's a large portion of salespeople, professionals that are doing that, right? And it's not like, I was thinking about it earlier today because I was talking to somebody who is is fortunate enough to not be on that path. They've gone, they've come out of college, they're going right into B2B tech sales and it's great. It's fantastic. I love it. I'm all for it. But you know, I was, uh, it's, it's a tough thing to go to a sales job, like to be stressed out about being late to your job because you had to go to the food stamp office because you're making eight fifty an hour and the commission that you're getting is like, you know, on a draw or you think you're getting 2000 and then you get 1500 taken out for X, Y, Z and F you. Right. I mean, it's like very, very stressful situations. And so again, to be able to have the mental fortitude to like work yourself through that, just, I mean, not even including all of those other elements, right? Just that element of like, um, you know, how hard that can be. It's like, man, to, and, 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 you know, what's so interesting is it like that one North star for you was that connection with the people, right? The connection with the person that you were helping the core reason that you even got the job in the first place. Right. It's like, that's what's carried you through. And I think when I talk to people who, cause I've worked with plenty of salespeople who um, it was a stopgap, 
for better, you know, for better or worse, right? They were going to school or they wanted to be something else and they were just working there for a little bit. And, um, you know, but the people that I know that have gone on to stay in sales and thrive in sales and create a career, are those people who at the core of everything, it's like distilled down to some sort of very raw, like emotion that they get from, you know, helping people. And so I think, uh, as you went through your journey, you obviously got out of that situation, right? You got out of, um, you know, the, that toxic environment. So, and, and talk to us about kind of, as you went on, uh, how you made the transition into the B2B tech world. Um, talk to us, you know, a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah. So that experience is what it was specifically something that got said to me in that environment, which was, and it's like, you can't make this stuff up, right? I've only really ever heard this uttered to somebody like in a movie, but this person in a leadership role at my organization, um, when talking to one of his buddies that owned a dealership who had come to visit our dealership for like lunch or something, talking about me and said something like you know a girl like that a girl with that kind of figure you shouldn't have to worry about paying a bill <laughs> and like he really thought he was being sweet to me like wow. as a compliment really thought it was being sweet to me and um his friend had agreed and like it got gross so i had no choice but to leave that environment but i I had decided that I was not going to leave like from the frying pan back into the fire. Mm -hmm. I understood this is certainly not how it should be, but the reality is this is how people, particularly people who are women are treated when they are on the wrong side of a college degree. Right. Um, and so that's when I knew I had to go back. It wasn't necessarily like I grew up in a family that really values education. Um, you know, I talk about myself being a teen mom. My grandmother was 15 when she had my, not my mom, but when she had um, my aunt. My mom's one of 11 children. And as the matriarch of that family, a woman who was um, made a mother at age 15 and had maybe an eighth grade education herself and ended up being the matriarch of this family where all of her children, all of her daughters have higher education degrees. And so I knew that that was in my family, that's the legacy. The legacy is not never making mistakes. It's not, you know, always making the right thing or having the best options put out in front of you. The legacy has been straight up black women getting shit done. And I'd look at, my, look at myself and look at my life like either you're gonna be one of them that you come from or you're gonna lay down and let this beat you. That's it. And by that time, right, I mentioned I was a teen mom. By that time, I had two children. Uh, what, the part I left out because I don't want to like bore you guys <laughs> or have, no, you, guys be like, or have you guys be like, oh God, like maybe she should have just laid down. Uh, no, but no. <laughs> maybe she should have just stopped. Um, but no. Uh, so I, I had also this at this time in my life when I was working at the dealership, I had also um, just left a marriage. Um, and I, so I'd married the, my high school sweetheart. Turns out he wasn't so sweet. 
Uh, I was in this most emotionally and sometimes physically abusive relationship for three years. And uh, for two of those, we lived, he was in the Air Force, so we lived in a foreign country. And um, so I didn't really have access to a lot of resources. And anyway, so all of that had done like this number on me mentally oh, and emotionally. Yeah, and I can't really, imagine. Yeah. And it had really shrunk what I, at that time, understood my options to be. And to have that opportunity at that dealership, particularly that experience with that person that I really wanted as, oh, I also had lost my father that same year that I left that relationship. Jeez. And wow. so to have this person who I would, I would hang around for sure. I would hang around his desk and listen to his phone calls and be like, because I, he reminded me of my dad. And I just really thought that this is a person that was going to be helpful to me. So this was just a really super painful situation, but I understood when I thought about how have the women in my life overcome similar circumstances, it was education. Mm. So I went back to school. I had decided I was going to be, this is my, my second try at not being a salesperson. <laughs> I, had decided, I had decided that I was gonna be a, uh, either a teacher or a newscaster. So either I was going to be Ooh. telling children stories that would help them understand how to engage with the world, or I was going to be Anderson Cooper because I, I only ever wanted to be like, if Anderson Cooper was in Oprah's body, what would that be like? And it's me. Uh, so, <laughs> anyway, I, I, so I can I'd... see that, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, so I went there and, and, and even more, even more than I had could have imagined. And then I had, then I had experienced before in my life was again, confronted with this power of communication. Mm. Right. So I knew that I had a natural inclination for storytelling, but I hadn't seen storytelling impact lives the way that some of the journalists I looked up to had done. And some of the teachers I looked up to had done. Yeah. So I got there, decided it was going to be communication and journalism, soaked up everything I could possibly uh, soak up and then went to sell cars again because because circumstances, because life. Right. Yeah. So the opportunities that are available to a person wanting to pursue uh, broadcasting in particular right out of college require you to have an internship and an internship in this industry is unpaid labor. And by this time, right, at 28, I had my now four children. I had two of them while I was in college. This is a whole other set of circumstances where things are unequal that we can get to at another time. <laughs> but um, so, so I now I had these kids and I, I flat out couldn't afford to work outside the home for free, yeah. which meant that I couldn't compete for these jobs, for these internships and, and the, the way that that industry operates in terms of how to break in. Yeah. So at this point, you know, after my husband had worked overnights for four years at the crappiest jobs, right, just so that I didn't have to work while I went to school, now I was faced with not even being able to pursue that profession and desperately needing income. Um, and I remembered what worked. So I went back to selling cars and culturally it hadn't really changed. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, but, but I had that experience behind me. I built a lot of confidence as a student, um, being a good student and, and having my, my ideas celebrated 
and being treated according to the beauty of my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, like you don't forget that. There's really no turning back from that. I got used to that. I'm accustomed to it now. <laughs> yeah. One of my friends here from uh, one of my husband's best friends from from Stark, Florida. The way he was it. That's just what I'm used to. So, <laughs> so that's that's how it came out. Like you got to respect me now. I'm not taking anything left. Yeah. So. But the hours were really bad. So I was I was working at this card lot in Austin, um, 12 hour Saturdays every Saturday. Bell to bell. Yeah, bell to bell. Exactly. Yeah. He he knows. He knows the thing. (laughs) And I was selling a car to this gentleman um, and he was just like, yeah, you you're here all day. Like (laughs) like the things that you can do, right? The way that you communicate with people, like, did you know that that is valuable basically is what this person was saying to me. And I'm like, yeah, they pay me really well to come in here and sell these cars. And most of people don't even get a salary, but I get $2,000 a month to sell these cars. <laughs> yeah, just, Child. yeah. So he's like, that's the face I'm making at the camp. That's the face he made at me. He's like, sis. So, <laughs> so he's like, you should meet my boss. He's, we're hiring salespeople at my job. The job is a company called Outbound Engine in Austin, Texas. They ended up getting bought out by GoDaddy and his boss is Scott Lease. So I meet Scott and this is the, I guess what some folks would say, the real entry into sales. Although I don't buy that. All of yeah. my experience in retail counted. Yes. I was working. Um, but yeah, so that's that's how I got into to B2B sales was just like meeting this person and and having that like in a really on the nose way this person tell me like no no these skills are transferable you just need to show up yeah but what i think people might not realize that don't come from that background is that we don't know Mm. i did not know that you could be a salesperson and sit inside of an office i'm not kidding i literally thought that everybody that worked in an office was like the accounting people and the other, you know, and then the salespeople were like somewhere else, you know, it, um, because I had similar experiences, right. Where it was like, uh, somebody would come in to the cell phone store and we'd just be talking like, Oh, what do you do? I remember the first time I met an outside sales rep, my mind was blown. And he was an outside sales rep for Swisher, the hygiene products, like the urinal cakes. (laughs) Which looking back on it is like not like a glamorous job, so to speak. But I was so impressed with this guy. I was like, I want to do this. I want to be this person, you know. And so you don't know until you meet somebody that does something else or you uh, get told very directly you could be doing something else with your time. Right. And it's uh, I don't know if it because I think we were probably kind of going through some of these things at the same time. I don't know if it was really like the time we were living in because we LinkedIn really wasn't a thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So for me, I didn't really feel like there were a whole lot of resources for me to even like figure out, Oh, wow, there's a B2B side of sales and a Monday through Friday side of sales. And um, you know, I think one of the interesting parts that you mentioned about, you know, kind of your journey is like, you know, the entry into actual sales. I've always found that the people that come into B2B sales a little bit later after doing retail or some other sort of maybe 
more transactional. Like Mm -hmm. I think even Scott Lee said something like this the other day, like the high transactional sales are so valuable early on in your career because you get those reps, you get those at bats and you get all those chances to see like the little nuances that work on opening people up and getting people to be comfortable with you and, you know, uh, all things that are transferable. So um, fast forward, right? You meet Scott Lease, you get into B2B sales, you grow your career, you know, kind of in, uh, you know, on that side of the sales world. Mm -hmm. At what point did you decide, and I know we're going to be skipping over things, but um, at what point did you decide, and this leads into a question that Ashad will ask you, but when did you decide that it was a good idea to start building a personal brand? Because we could probably talk for hours and hours about just your sales career, but I think, you know, the personal branding side is so important and, and, and you've, and you've done um, as I've followed you, you know, you've like launched SDR defenders and, and done unique things inside of just, you know, it's not like you're just posting on LinkedIn you're really doing it. So talk to us about that decision, how you came to that kind of place in your career where it was like, okay, well, I'm going to get on the LinkedIn and now you have, you know, like 15,000 followers. All of it is survival. And some of it is, is, you know, what some might call selfish. Um, I can relate. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like I, I, Being a member of an underrepresented group, being a black woman on a sales floor in particular, um, comes with a certain level of isolation. Mm. And when you uh, couple that with this, during the, the time that I'm that this was happening to me, when you couple that with um, really, really heavy bro culture, really, really heavy like hustle porn environment, yeah. right? Um, then inside the B2B world, inside the B2B world, startup, bro culture. Yep. Yep. All of that. Yep. Um, then, but, but what I'm feeling and experiencing isn't matching up to what other folks seem to be experiencing and what they're saying about their sales careers and experiences on LinkedIn at that time. It Mm -hmm. was all very like, there's that veneer again, right? There's that people talking to each other, but not actually saying anything and not actually connecting again. And so the decision was not to build a personal brand. The decision was for my own survival to put out the vibe and attract the tribe to see if there were other salespeople out there that were experiencing a lot of the negative feelings and thoughts that I was experiencing that you're not allowed to talk about on a sales floor. Because <laughs> if you talk about them on a sales floor, then it probably means you're not tough enough, right? It probably yeah. means you're just not built for this. It's too hot. Get out of the kitchen. And so I didn't work <laughs> on sales floors where I felt like I felt safe saying out loud, like, this is really hard. How are y'all coping? <laughs> Straight up. Yeah. Everybody is just out here pretending like they're coping. Yeah. And so the decision, yeah, I was like, I'm going to go out here and talk to these people and, and, and tell, say something real. And listen, this was two years ago. Mm. So by no means was there any overnight 
success associated with this. And I still haven't Thanks. achieved what I'm trying to achieve with this. It was just like, it started, that's how it started. I'm, I decided I was going to talk to people and see if that was helpful to anyone and hopefully attract folks who could be encouraging and helpful to me. And, that's awesome. and then, and then um, what also was happening is um, I was failing. Keep it real. Like I have not always been the top. You can't, no one is always the top salesperson. Um, and so the, the things that were driving some of those negative feelings, right, was things I, failure that was due to me not understanding other parts of the revenue process. So we mm. had been teaching salespeople their functions in isolation, right? And not talking about how what salespeople are doing is contributing to the success of the organization, number one, and how what marketing is doing should be contributing to what salespeople are able to do. And then sales doing that effectively is contributing to the experience that customer success is having. So mm -hmm. getting beat by people who I thought I was more talented than and having questions that kept getting shut down was a recipe for, you know what? You're gonna have to double down on what's making you feel confident so that you can win. Mm. And talking to people and having folks respond to my communication style and say, because it's one thing to get off of a phone call and feel like I, I know what I'm talking about. I'm good at you know communicating with people and it's still not working. That can, if you're being honest, start to yep. erode some of your confidence and your communication skills. But exactly. with LinkedIn, with LinkedIn, here's this place where people are saying, mm, no, uh, your communication skills are, are great. You're on the right track. Maybe there's process issues. Maybe there's product market issues. And this is not to say that I wasn't taking personal responsibility. There were times on sales floors when I straight gave up because of those negative things, right? I was just like, never gonna, there's not enough phone calls I can make, so I'm only gonna make four. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not proud of that, but that like, that's real. That's where I yeah. was yep. uh, for a lot of this time. So. It worked, right? In that I started to attract people who were, you know, in touch with how the their the, their identity as a salesperson was affecting their identity as a human. Mm. Um, and then I just decided to keep going and just sort of keep making friends. And then COVID happened. So this is the real like fast forward element of it. Yeah. Right? I so. In, in searching for answers to all of those things, right? What are the reasons salespeople fail outside of not having an aptitude? Because I was meeting folks with the aptitude who were still failing. Yeah. Um, I, I'd, I'd spent some time at Sweetfish Media um, practicing what they call content-based networking, right? So we're doing like what we're doing right now, except instead of me being me, I'd be a prospect, right? So yep. I had had all these conversations with folks in the, in the sales and marketing space and, and basically gone through a masterclass after having 150 conversations with these people. And so knew that there was something on the other side of, if I could just put all those things together. And just as I was putting all those things together, COVID happened and I was out of work. Fantastic. And Yes. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <My life>. <laughs> <laughs> and and then there's a shame associated with that for salespeople. A Absolutely. shame that we experience often in isolation, 
mm-hmm. because you're not allowed to say out loud that you got fired from a sales job or that you quit a sales job. Either way, you just there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Um, and sometimes there is something wrong with you, but sometimes <laughs> there's not. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> even both. if there is, yeah. And right? even if there is, you know, what other profession is expected to be infallible, right? No I mean, other it's... profession in that rev in that go to market team I just outlined. Certainly, no. certainly that. No. So so I bef- instead of dying, because and listen, I joke about this stuff, but in fairness to folks who might actually be experiencing these things, I do suffer from depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. I've suffered from those things for a, for a long time. I only, you know, have been being treated and actually addressing those things for maybe about the past four years. Yep. And it really had gotten to a point when I had been at about the three month mark. So February, March, April. So yeah. So around April when the despair was just burying me. I was not getting out of bed. Yeah. I mean, with everything going on in the world, on top of what was going on in your personal life, on top of what, how that affects your, I mean, your professional life and then how it affects your personal life. Yeah. I mean, and who, 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 yeah, no wonder, you know, I'm I'm a mom. So there's like all of this fear. Like some of it is like this overt anxiety for like, real food insecurity, like Mm -hmm. real food insecurity during that time. And then the rest of it is just sort of happening behind the scenes. And then I'm down on myself, like how am I back here again? I'm, you know, a woman over 35, I should have all this shit together and all this stuff. Yeah. And so like, instead of dying, I (laughs) decided again, what worked before, right? How did I, you know, pick myself up out of the claw my way back into existence before? Mm -hmm. And the answer was community. The answer was community. So I started with this, uh, this project. I called it Sunshine 6000. I was going to give people what I actually needed um, oh. and, and let it be the reason I got out of bed every day. So at that time in April, I had about 6,000 followers on LinkedIn. And I was like, what if I connected with each of them, right? Sent each of them like a little video that was like, hey, you're one of my connections um, or you're, you follow me. I, I, I I can't, sometimes I do know why folks follow me. Sometimes I don't, but I just wanted you to know that you're super important to me. Took a look at this thing you posted yesterday. Wow, that was really cool. I'm so glad to have you on my network. So anyway, I was doing that, spreading sunshine. So sunshine 6,000, uh, spreading sunshine to all of my 6,000 uh, followers. And I was really just getting those reps. I was practicing this, you know, talking to people, practicing being able to get up and do something even when conditions are not optimal. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I'm always looking for opportunities to, to, you know, build that muscle, even though it's, you have to put yourself in some tough situations in order to do that, or be put in tough situations in order, in order to do that. And yeah, so again, I was, I was having my cup being, you know, filled again by these people. And it just so happened that this was a time when folks were now ready to admit that they needed this hmm. shit too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, so now folks were like, wanting community, craving it, and and wanting to be led. I had said out loud before this time that I never wanted to be a leader. I never wanted to be a manager. Hmm. I didn't think it, I knew that folks, I, I can inspire people, but that's always been a throwaway for me. It's really <laughs> weird, right? Because again, like what's inspiration if you're not, you know, crushing quota? Yeah. What is, what does it even mean, right? Yeah, yeah. 
And so, but I, I let myself go ahead and just lean into the thing, the gifts, right? It is, it, it does matter that you can inspire people. It is valuable. People do need that. Mm -hmm. And, and that's when I took it a step further and started letting a lot more of myself out in the content. And that's, that's actually how, uh, SDR defenders ends up being born. Right. Is I, 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 I believe it was the post that was mommy, where do leads come from? And then it was why the CRM silly. It was this one. So that was, <laughs> I like and that. I like you know, so you better make your 150 phone calls so you can grow up and be a big, strong AE. <laughs> but, but what about, what, what, why am I called this person? Where does the list come from? Oh, don't worry about that. So I was talking about the way that we pet SDRs on the head. Yep. And I was talking to... about the, right, right. Shh, shh, shut up and dial. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that caught the eye of Josh Roth of, of Walk Me. Yep. And he had already been thinking about that same thing himself, right? And wanting to advocate as had Kyle uh, Coleman from Clary, as had Tom Bogard. Um, and so we, that, yeah, that was just a bunch of like-minded people having this conversation, seeing this in, e in each other and, and getting together and figuring out how we can make a real impact. And so, yeah, I guess th that was my really long-winded answer to your question, which is what, how, when did I decide? And, you know, I'm not sure that it was an on-the-nose decision ever to build a brand, but it was a decision to seek the kind of community that I was needing and to offer the kind of inspiration that we were needing as salespeople in this really difficult time. Mm. Yeah. And just by listening to your story, because this is my first time meeting you, I'm very inspired by your journey. You know, you were a teen mom. Uh, you graduated college. You've had a versatile sales career. You've accomplished many things. Uh, you built a community on LinkedIn. You built a personal brand. Um, and it seems like you have uh, you definitely have like tenacity, like I brought up before, but you also are good with connecting with people. It seems like, like whether it's a customer or somebody like your thought process on sending a video, like a lot of people don't even make videos on LinkedIn. And the fact that you sent it to every connection request just shows how relationship oriented you are. Um, and that brings me to this point where we ask, um, business is personal, right? Um, that's the theme we've been having for season four. And you know, the opposite of business is personal. Some people say, oh, it's just business, right? Usually when someone says that it's because, you know, maybe something unpleasant is about to happen. So when you think of business as personal, uh, what, is, what does that mean to you, Nikki? Well, on a silly note, it's, it reminds me of a line from one of my favorite movies, which is You've Got Mail. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Tom Hanks has just put Meg Ryan out of business and he's telling her it's just business. And she's like, this is means so much to me. Of course it's personal. I don't remember the exact line, but <laughs> shout out to anything involving Meg Ryan and Tom nice. Hanks. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I've met my husband era. on the internet, I should say. And so that that film has a special place in my heart, really, for that reason. But yep. That's yep. The, and that yeah, was the OG meeting on the internet movie. For the record, oh, it was right. for the record. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so so there's that, but but in in reality, it's personal for me because I mean it's personal. In fact, when you 
when I, the way that I approach this work is I'm really never trying to tailor a message to just a persona. I'm almost always taking the next step and trying to tailor a message to the person, to like the human being. And I know that this sounds like fuzzy and, and you know, soft, but it, no, it's it real. really is just the truth of, of what my experience has been mm-hmm. and, and really what's like kept me alive. What that means in application is that we understand that the things that happen in our culture outside of the walls of a work environment absolutely affect the experiences that people have within those walls. So in a very literal way, business is personal. And the more we try and deny that or run away from that, like many folks are, you, if you look at LinkedIn, you'll see this happening, right? These folks that insist that anyone talking about a social justice issue on that platform is mixing business and personal or, or, you know, infiltrating this platform. LinkedIn isn't the place for this kind of thing. Right, 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 right. right. I hate when people say that. I hate when people say that. And it's like, the the only way that we can really cope under under those circumstances is if we believe ourselves to not be human at work. And that's just not true, right? Like, so if, if I'm a human and the things happening outside of work are affecting me as a human, then I'm going to bring those things with me, whether I like it or not, and whether you like it or not. And so one of the reasons why another literal way that business is personal for me, I work at M train. You guys probably can't see it that well here. Also, it's a podcast. So maybe you're just listening, but uh, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't assume everyone's always looking at me. Uh, but, so if you're not, you're missing it. I'm doing a Maryland thing today. Yeah. Uh, but- <laughs> it's fantastic. We're going to start a YouTube channel just to put this up. <laughs> feeling very, very <laughs> misunderstood Hollywood starlet. Hey, uh, and so I just the part. Anyway, so I decided after coming out of COVID and, and being unemployed all of that time, that the next place that I committed to as an organization, right, that I committed to use my skills to advance the goals of, which is how I think about myself now as an empowered salesperson, it was really important to me that I was going to be getting to have the kinds of conversations that impact culture all day long, as much as possible. And so it's always mattered to me what I sell. That's always been important that I believe in it. And I've been pretty fortunate that I've been able to find some aspect of, of what I've been selling that I am connected to emotionally and where I can see a real impact on real humans but that's never been the case as much as it is right now. So M-Train is this workplace culture platform, which is a super buzzy way of saying uh, that we offer courses that teach people how to navigate so-called tricky people issues in the workplace. So what happens when the larger culture is influencing how people um, feel or what people are experiencing and what they're bringing with them into work emotionally and mentally, Um, how do we support folks with that? And a lot of that support has to be with educating ourselves and our peers around how to treat each other um, in in empathy with that. So again, in a really literal way, right? That's personal to me and it's what I'm doing for work. Um, And that 
you see that in SDR defenders as well, right? Which started out, like I talked about, it's just this message of, you know, how sales culture and how are we socializing people into the profession, but very quickly turned into how do we democratize access to the profession, right? What are the forces that exist, the systems that exist uh, that are responsible for there being so many groups underrepresented in this profession and for there being such a hole in the pipeline for those underrepresented groups as, as uh, the, the, the titles get higher. Um, and so a huge part of SDR Defenders is also to address that. So th those are the major ways in which for me, business is absolutely personal. Yeah. And what I hear, like the overlying message that I hear, business is personal because we're dealing with people, right. you know, uh, us as individuals, we have feelings, emotions, things we go through, uh, customers, our workmates. And for that, like we have to adjust, we have to adapt and we have to communicate knowing, okay, like sometimes customers, they might be having a bad day. And if we don't sometimes maybe being a little more nice or just calling that out, they might, sometimes they might even open up and that might even lead to the sale or not. So, um, business is definitely personal because we're, we're dealing with people. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because I mean, you know, we, I think this year has shown us that there's really, you gotta, you, you can't continue to think that they're separate because, they're just not right. We're, uh, we're all dealing with this thing that's universally, um, you know, to your point earlier, Nikki, it's like, um, <laughs> all of a sudden in April, everybody was feeling the pain, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. And so I think that's a unique aspect of this whole ordeal that, uh, we maybe don't talk about enough is that it all kind of like put us on some sort of equal playing field of like, Hey, our all, all of our lives are effed up in this one aspect on this one layer. Um, Facts. And unfortunately, um, we haven't used it as a unifying thing as much as I hoped we would as a, yeah. as a society, right? It's, it's, it's interesting to see how it's made people kind of dig into their, you know, it's all from fear and insecurity and all those things, but it, it's so interesting because it's like, somebody like you had been on this journey of kind of just individually layer by layer, mm -hmm. uh, accomplishment by accomplishment, getting to this place. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people were like thrown into it, mm -hmm. you know, like everything was pretty good for me, uh, <laughs> until COVID hit. I mean, you know, I talked yeah, to people like that, right. It was, yeah. Right. And I don't mean to laugh, but no, I mean, and it, no, and it's the truth. And, uh, I remember I, when I, my first sales job was in 2008. Right. And so like, I never, for the first like three years of my working career was during a recession. So I didn't know any different. Right. Right. It was just like, this is all I know. And then to come out of it and over the ne next several years be like, Whoa, you know, where, where are, where do I go to find a job where I make $250,000 a year for doing not much. Right. It's like, I feel like I missed that wave a little bit, but, um, you know, I love that that you've aligned all of these different things you're doing and really like kind of looking back at the whole story, your story and your journey. It's just like you have um, gone through things and everybody goes through things. Right. Um, 
and every time it's like you've just kind of iterated and just learned right it's like okay so like what do i need to i'm not going to be too proud to go back to things that i know work for me right mm-hmm. i'm going to not be uh, i'm not going to try and reinvent the wheel right mm-hmm. and think that like i need to do something that somebody else is doing no i'm going to follow my you know like your um your fi- your family history right? right and just the people you know your dna right just and so that that business is personal piece i think you know what a perfect person to ask that question to you know it's like uh couldn't have planned it any better we're running up on time and you're a busy person so i need to squeeze in this last question ask this question to almost everybody unless i forget (laughs) that comes on the lunch break podcast (laughs) it is the lunch break podcast i started the lunch break podcast because um I was doing it while I was working and I wanted my bosses to know that I wasn't taking time off of work to record this. So it's called the lunch break podcast. Cause I used to eat lunch and do it. Uh, we're recording it at lunchtime. Now, Nikki, what is your favorite place to eat lunch? Okay. So I am that woman, that nightmare woman who on a date does not know where she wants mm. to eat. Okay. Got it. So this is, this we may be here a while. Yeah, so my, somewhere my husband is laughing at, at whoever, at the poor soul who dared yeah, to ask who the what hell I to just eat. asked her that? <laughs> I'm yeah. surprised he didn't like poke his head in here and be like, come on. Um, but I have to tell you, I, and it's not really brand specific. Okay. I love a salad bar. It's mm. one of the things that COVID has sort of taken from me. Very true. Mm. Uh, or changed, at least. Um, I live in Florida where no one gives an F, so the Ruby Tuesdays with the salad bar is still open. Um, it's just got plastic in front of it. No, 100%. They got gloves. Oh, okay, I'm not even, perfect. I only know this because I went there because I need the salad bar. Don't judge me. I wore a mask. But anyway, no, yeah. so. Yeah, that Ru- the, just for the record, the Ruby, Tube, uh, the Ruby Tuesday salad bar is phenomenal. Yes. There's so much. A salad bar. There's so much possibilities. Mm-hmm. It's very colorful. Yep. They Smells got good, bacon bits. Good. Yeah. Like they got options. They got options and it's colorful <laughs> and it's wonderful. And so if I had to pick one, this is the one I'd say, but I also side note, I have to tell you that that question, and I know you didn't mean it to be. Okay. It's kind of a sore spot for me. I'm gonna do it a five minute. Yeah, detour. no. We'll talk yeah. about why. Yep. So in college, there was this pageant, and it was, I think it was called like the Miss Black and Gold pageant. And I was, I had just recently become a member of the National Council of Negro Women. And um, I I forget the organization that was throwing this thing, but it was, it was a bunch of folks from the the NCNW and this other org, um, like a male led org that was putting this thing on. Right. And it was like just the very tight knit group of black and brown folk that went to the University of Nebraska at Omaha when I went there. And um, so there was like dance routines and like, I don't really do well learning choreography, but anyway, so part of this pageant was this question part, right? Where they asked, just like in any pageant, they ask all these questions. The Q&A. My question was, if you could wave a magic wand, right? Like, what would you what would you do? What would you change about the world, right? 
And so I give my little, you know, 27 year old Nikki answer, right? Well, if I wave magic wand, I would just make sure there was no more racism anywhere in the world because it does hurt <laughs> people. Um, and I was very much more eloquent than I was just now. And, like, I'm, yeah, I'm you were making fun of yourself. Yeah. Uh, but, but yes. So I, I delivered what I thought was like a rousing and inspirational answer to this question. The next two people got asked if you could only eat at one fast food place for the rest of your life, what would it be? And I'm like, the softballs. The softballs. <laughs> well, this is your softball. This is the softball you've been waiting for since that pageant. Yeah, the I feel redeemed. Yeah, this is the softball. Redemption. <laughs> I came yep. in. I came in number four out of four in, <laughs> in that pageant. I feel like I was robbed. Um, yeah, yeah. And now I've gotten to cleanse myself by sharing the story with you guys today. Yep, it all, <laughs> it's all come full circle. That's what we're here to do. Uh, and, like me now. Yeah, I mean, you know, check me out, episode 100, <laughs> Lunch Break Podcast. Look, I, I can't thank you enough, uh, Nikki, for stopping by. I think we could probably do this for like another two hours um, very easily. So I am going to say, uh, just to wrap up here, thank you to anybody who's ever listened to any episode of the Lunch Break Podcast um, a massive, massive thank you and shout out to my partner, uh, Ashad Mason, who started out as uh, a two-time guest, very quickly realized this was somebody that was going to help take this podcast to the next level. And he's done so much more than I ever could have imagined um, and hired people. And now there's, we've got freelancers and all these things happening. <laughs> I show thing. up. Yeah. I show up to our that Friday. Yeah. Our weekly Friday meeting and there's new things that are happening and I have no clue. And it's uh, a dream come true. So, you know, huge thank you to Ashad for kind of taking us through season four, taking on the hosting duties, everything you do behind the scenes, much appreciated. And, Last but definitely not least, thank you to our esteemed guest, Nikki Ivey. Uh, really, really appreciate you stopping by. Again, I wish like I have like eight more questions. I'm Ashad didn't even get to ask more than one. You know, it's like we could, for, <laughs> we could go for hours, but thank you so much. If people want to reach out to you, get in touch with you, connect with you, how can they do that? Well, since my LinkedIn inbox has all but exploded, um, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend my LinkedIn, which is, I typically say, oh, I'm on LinkedIn all the time and I do live there, um, but it'll probably be a longer, a longer play if you're reaching out to me on LinkedIn. Do connect with me though, um, but let's, you know, be creative. So Instagram, I live okay. there too. Uh, Twitter. Right. So those inboxes are pretty dry <laughs> most yeah. of the time. Yep. So I will were... say, you know, Twitter's how I booked this one. Right? I figured, you know, the LinkedIn inbox might be a little bit of a dumpster fire if it's anything like mine. Uh, and so, yes, I can I can vouch and say that Nikki responds to DMs on Twitter. OK, now <laughs> we, we got her on the podcast. Uh, thank you so much uh, for stopping by. With that, I'm going to wrap up episode 100 of the Lunch Break podcast. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Lunch Break Podcast, where true sales pros go to share their stories on their lunch breaks. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a rating, share on social media, and make sure you come back for more episodes 
with season four of the Lunch Break Podcast, where business is personal.